Welcome to the Stetzer Church Leaders Podcast. Conversations with today's top ministry leaders to help you lead better every day. And now, here are your hosts, Ed Stetzer and Daniel Yang. Welcome to the Stetzer Church Leaders Podcast, where we're helping Christian leaders navigate and lead through the cultural issues of our day. My name is Daniel Yang, the National Director of Churches of Welcome at World Relief, and today we're talking to Jenny Allen. Jenny's a Bible teacher, author, and the founder and visionary of If Gathering, a discipleship ministry focused on putting tools and resources in the hands of women in the church. She's the host of the Made for This podcast and the author of several books, including her latest, Get Out of Your Head, Stopping the Spiral of Toxic Thoughts. But before we talk to Jenny, we want to remind you that if you're enjoying our interviews, be sure to leave us a review. Now let's go to Ed Stetzer, Editor-in-Chief of Outreach Magazine and the Dean of the Talbot School of Theology. Well, Jenny, so great to have you on the podcast. So excited about this discussion. So um, lots of people, you know, the IF gathering, you're talking about all these things around the world. But you're also uh, the, an author. And for most most of you know, I'm not allowed to go to the IF gathering. Am I allowed to go to an IF gathering? Absolutely. Okay. Would you come? I will. I think I'll sneak in just to do that. Come. So You're invited. So, but it's primarily women's gathering, but yeah. not exclusively. Sure. All right. So, um, so, but you also have written uh, one book. And then depending on when this comes out, people can pre-order the other book as well. So let's talk a little bit about, I, I really like the, the title of the book, Get out of your head, stopping the spiral of toxic thoughts. Because a lot of, I mean, remember our audience is pastors and church leaders. I mean, I, I got to tell you, I mean, I lived this. Like yeah. every time the phone rang, like, oh, someone wants to talk to me. Is there a problem? Is there a problem at the church? I mean, those toxic thoughts can become very real. And tell, tell us the name of the new book and when it's out. Untangle Your Emotions. Okay. Naming What You Feel and Knowing What to Do With It. And these two books are very closely connected. Yeah. I have written a few more than yes, those two. But we those could list two, them all. No, I couldn't even. Okay. I don't know that I'd remember them all. But those two are very married. Yeah. They're like sisters. Okay. Um, because Get Out of Your Head came out right before COVID. Yeah. And it was so timely. I remember, in fact, um, it reached far enough that an editor at Cosmopolitan, of all things, I know all the pastors out there probably Just, read that. They read I don't Cosmo. even read that. No. Um, but they there was an endorsement in there for it, and it said it was like Jenny Allen knew the you-know-what was going to hit the fan. And it really was, I think, the Lord preparing that message for that time because we did all get in our heads yeah. for two years. Yeah. And so I think the timing of that project was really special and very sovereign of God. And and then this project was really uh, came out of that project. Mm-hmm. I, I did that project, and it was all about our thoughts. But I'm someone who's a thinker. Yeah. Probably a lot of people that listen to you are the same way. And so understanding my thoughts and working through my thoughts was very much more of a clean process. Right. But if I tell somebody, hey, stop being sad, right. that doesn't work. Doesn't. That's not as clean. And so this last project was really a growth journey for me because I, uh, where get out of your head is is to interrupt these toxic spirals, which... I didn't realize growing up, I, I missed this in Sunday school, that we could control our thoughts. There are so many verses mm-hmm. about it to think on these things, sure. take, take thoughts, thoughts captive, captive sure. um, conform your mind. Right. You know, there's a lot of thoughts mm-hmm. um, in the scriptures about our thoughts, but but I had missed a lot of that. And yeah. so when, when I really understood the spiritual authority that I had over my thought life, it was life-changing for mm-hmm. me. And, and yet, I am more in the thinking camp. And right. so as much as I'm a woman and I'm passionate, mm-hmm. I'm not as much of a feeler. Mm-hmm. I don't feel all the time. I don't, that's mm-hmm. not my natural bent. And so working on this past book has been a journey because I, God does not as much say, quit feeling sad. Right, right. <laughs> there is a purpose for our emotions mm-hmm. and we aren't supposed to just quit feeling them. Mm-hmm. And I think that was 
mind blowing for mm-hmm. me because I again when I wrote Get Out of Your Head, it was just clean, it was simple. You can control it, fix right. it, and I'm a fix it girl. And then you move over into your emotions and it's a little more complicated. Yeah. So with the question of kind of thoughts in her head, toxic thoughts in her head or more. So um, you know, what's I mean, there's a sense of normalcy to you should be concerned about some things. I mean, you have fight and flight, you know, ideas, all this sort of stuff. And then getting into a pattern where it becomes toxic and Mm -hmm. where, and again, I I will tell you, for me, as a young pastor, I had to have more people in church this week than I had last week. And I literally would Mm, like be making phone calls on Saturday to make sure people came so I could get the count. And and then when someone called and said, hey, pastor, could we talk? I was like, oh no, what do we need to talk about? And I really had to address some of that in my own life. And I'm guessing, I talked to a lot of pastors, that's a recurring theme that they experience. So how do you start to take thoughts like that captive? Yeah. How do you have a more healthier engagement of yes? I mean, the, you should be concerned about some things, but not where it becomes problematic. So I'm going to take this actually from both angles. Please. I'm going to take this from the thought life, and I'm going to take this from the emotional life. Right. Um, and the Which thought, you've got these two books. Yes, that, so they, I like it. They, they go together. Right. And, and the thought life, when you look at the thought life, you can you can truly interrupt mm-hmm. your thoughts. You sure. can notice. First, you have to notice the thought. Mm-hmm. You have to notice what it is you're thinking, and you can interrupt it. Right. And and what that looks like is replacing with gratitude mm-hmm. and being thankful for who is there. And and there's ways to do that. It is a simpler process. But right. I, I do want to speak to the emotional Please. life because I think that's where we ignore. Um, because oftentimes our, our toxic thoughts are coming from a place. And I'm going to go all the way back into childhood. Okay. For me, it was, I remember being seven years old and I remember driving home from my grandmother's funeral. And I remember being in the backseat crying and noticing... Um, that I probably shouldn't be because I didn't know my great-grandmother that well. Right. And I remember feeling guilty for crying. And my parents were sitting in the front seat and I didn't want them to hear me. Mm-hmm. And I remember why I cried was not so much that I was sad, I was losing a great-grandparent I didn't know very well. I remember feeling scared of death. Mm-hmm. And so fast forward, I have all these emotional reactions mm-hmm. to my, you know, my, my husband, getting sick and in the hospital and I I can't breathe and mm-hmm. I all of a sudden I'm panicking. My daughter gets married and talks about moving um, away and I'm having such a strong mm-hmm. reaction to that mm-hmm. even though I want them to follow God wherever they're supposed to go. And so I'm noticing all this in myself and so I start counseling and what I realized was, gosh, all these things are really connected. Right. That that part of me that was scared when I was young is the same part of me that panics when my daughter's going to move away. Why? Because I don't want to be alone. Mm-hmm. I don't want to die alone. Right. I don't I don't want to be alone. Mm-hmm. And so I think where what I want to say to your question and I yeah. know you want me to go to the thoughts cuz that's the that's okay. way to no, go. That's okay. No, no, like that's the way I think, but I would even say as you're saying this, I can relate to some of the tangled emotions as well because for me, you know, I grew up, you know, father was alcoholic, you know, eventually left the home. So a lot of my, oh no, someone's calling. It's abandonment things. So you're thinking about abandonment. So the emotions are there for me too. So let's go to that. Okay. Oh, we're going to so, right here. We're going to do therapy Cesar, right yes, here. Yes, we are. Yes, let's yes. go to that feeling yes. that you felt as a young pastor yes. when the church wasn't as full. Yes. Let's go to that same I wasn't room. being successful. That's what I'd feel. And my father no, always- No, that's what you thought. That's what I thought. Well, I felt, yeah, that's true. That's true. Wait, what emotion did you feel? Uh, shame. Oh. <gasps> Is that good. okay? Are we yeah, having counseling? that's good. Counseling? Yeah, we are. Because, uh, and actually, you know, I walked, walked through some of these things over the years, because I was never good enough as a kid. You know, I was an athlete. My dad was an athlete, mm. you know, et cetera, et cetera. Now my dad and I are very close and it's a great relationship. But you still have those father wounds. 
So for me, those emotions were shame, I have to be successful. Someone once said to me, why do you have two master's degrees and two doctoral degrees? And I said, because I'm trying to prove my value and worth to my father who mm -hmm. long since loves and values and values yeah. me worthy. So I might talk about my physical father. So, but it stays. It stays with you. This so is the most transparent. You're like, you should do like a podcast like this go. and just have people Counsel disclose. <laughs> Counsel them on a podcast. Well, let's go. Yeah. Let's, okay. just, let's just settle okay. in because I think this is so helpful okay. to people. Because right. if people are listening to you right now, if pastors, if leaders are listening to you right now, they respect you. And to see like how your yeah. brain processes. So if you're comfortable. I am. So pretty let's transparent. Go, let's go back to when you remember feeling shame the first time in your life. Yes. A certain oh, we might say, say like, uh, like I think a, I was number 13 on the baseball team wow. that my father was the coach of. Wow. And do you remember a certain day? Oh, I don't remember the day. No, I was just a tryout. What happened? Tryouts. I mean, what happened? I wasn't picked. Oh, okay. like you in do that. remember yes. the day. Well, I don't remember the day. Like, like it wasn't Thursday, September 12th. But you remember. Oh, okay. I remember that. Yes. You remember that I do. day. I do. So that day yeah. that, what did that feel like for you? I was ashamed. He was the coach and you weren't picked. Correct. What did you feel out. that day besides shame? I don't remember much more than that. It was a long time ago, Jenny Allen. <laughs> yeah, but I certainly felt disappointment. But you remembered a lot about it. I remembered it. shame. I remember disappointment. I remembered uh, probably the thing I most remember is my my father's disappointment. And I should tell you that I the, the funny end of the story is I actually went crazy in Little League until I eventually pitched. Wow. And then kind of proved I could do it and quit and never played sports again. Wow. So, so yeah, so it really was a, a big part of that track. But I guess shame, disappointment, I don't know. Okay, so little, what, how old Little Eddie, you? little Eddie. Little Eddie. I don't know, at the first time, I don't know, how old do you when you start playing Little League? I don't remember. Probably like eight? Yeah, I would guess, because it was seventh grade when I quit and never played again. Okay, so you were... So I may or may seven, not have watched the movie Field of Dreams 57 times <laughs> to see the tension between the father and son about baseball. So when you look at Little 13 yes. on that yeah. field, the day he didn't make it, what yeah. do you feel today? It definitely wasn't there because I, I was, by that time I was in Florida. No, so I mean your in, number. You remember Oh, Little number. 13. Sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so. Uh, your I jersey number. Um, I, what would I feel today about that? When you look at him. Uh-huh. Look little, at who? Little, little Eddie. Ed. Little Eddie. Yes, That's what we call him Eddie. Eddie. Uh, I wish somebody told him that there are lots of other things you're going to excel at in your life. Mm. So, yeah. And keep going. This uh, is really sweet. I don't know. We're having a whole counseling session here. <laughs> I know. Um, and that it was going to be okay, that even your parents were still going to love you, um, you know, and more. But, you know, I grew up in an Irish Catholic, beer-drinking, union laborer, police officer, fireman kind of family. And, and I ended up being the kid who who was excelling in the chess club and winning at the trivia bowl mm. in high school. So I did, that was okay. But I, it, did, it wasn't okay at that point. It became okay later when I became a scholar. So look at this conversation. Everybody yes. that's listening to yes. this. Now People go, are either like find this fascinating or they're like, this is the strangest Stetzer Church Leaders podcast ever. I promise you they're very interested. Okay. And here's why. All right, tell me. Because everybody has a seven-year-old self. Okay. Because everybody has a story like that day at baseball. Yeah, sure. And and what maybe everybody listening doesn't realize is that's still with you. Yeah, for sure. The day that for you sure. stand up and the church isn't as full, that part of you yep. is still there. That seven-year-old is still there. And you don't think about them, yeah. but they're there. And it took a long time for me to connect those things together. You know, and that's part of where the title, you know, Untangle Your Emotions. I had those emotional responses, and I didn't realize... I'm trying to remember where I first, it might have been Larry Osborne talking about father wounds or something of that, If it, maybe it was earlier than that. But this idea that you're trying to prove something because of the shame that was only there was a big part of my early drive. And still today, 
Mm-hmm. I have to check myself sometimes and say, well, let's stop. Let's think about where this is coming from. Well, all of that is the way we are as humans, okay. and God knows it. Right. And so when the reason I pushed to that, and I know you wanted to talk about get out of your head and toxic thoughts, but the reason I pushed to that is because I don't think the problem that day that you felt ashamed that there weren't enough people there, that the problem was your thought life. I think in that moment, the problem was the parts of you that still feel like okay, you're so, not measuring So you're them. making the sense? distinction between our um, kind of our emotive response to situations that we got to untangle because it ties back to to maybe earlier experiences, trauma, difficulties. So that, and then that's different than the thoughts that are thoughts It really is. Okay. Because the so thought life... So explain a little bit more. Go ahead. The thought life, we you see in scripture just a true command to, to take every thought captive and to to not you know allow your mind to just run in a million directions that are not healthy because God has given us power and authority over mm-hmm. our minds. So that is true. And and yet our emotions are actually gifts to point us to things that need attention. And so when an emotion comes up, it's good to, to think about it this way, that a thought can sometimes be redirected, mm-hmm. but when it's you've been trying to redirect it for mm-hmm. a week, a month, a year, right. and it's not really moving, <laughs> that's probably a signal that there's more to it. Okay. And there's probably something deeper that you've got to look at. Now, I know a lot of the people listening are men. And I would say this book, I actually told a lot of my husband's story in this book because I knew a lot of men were going to read it. And the reason why is because I think women are more comfortable with the conversation. But I almost called the book, and this is where I think men will will show up and read the book, is I almost called the book uh, $10,000 worth of therapy. <laughs> that would have been, like men would have, but men would rather, you know, go blow up something than go to therapy. It's like, so, would you rather, because yeah. the reality is at some point, this will either get dealt with in people's lives right. or it comes out sideways. Okay, so help me understand though, because let's talk through this some. So for me, like, um, I'm going to use a very odd uh, example you didn't expect. There's this great scene in Star Trek. I think it's the Undiscovered Country where uh, there's this guy, Spock's brother, named Cybok, and he helps them get in touch with their emotions and takes away all their pain. And Captain Kirk at one point says, I no, need, I need, need my, my pain. pain. You know yeah. this, you're a Star Trekker. Okay. Yeah. I mean, so, so, I mean, we are sort of an entanglement of that. So I do recognize that part of what makes me someone who loves to do things, I really love it. That's the good side of it, but there's also some of it that I have to untangle and make sure that's not based on an unhealthy emotional response. But but what's my end goal here? Am I supposed like I am the entanglement of all of these things, including my painful childhood experiences? The end goal is peace, mm-hmm. joy, mm-hmm. patience, mm-hmm. kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control, okay. and those things come about when we're dependent upon God. Okay. The gift of emotion. So, one thing the church has done in the past that breaks my heart a little is I think it's demonized emotions. Mm-hmm. And I know For why. Sure. I have two. I know why. One, they're they're not easily controlled. Two, they, they make a big mess everywhere. Three, the world has prized them and valued them to the extent sure. that they are following Sometimes above them. all else. Yes, right. they're following them Follow your heart, into yeah. sin. And and so I am not suggesting that. Right. That is not health, right? We know that. Right. So so if we know that's not health and we look at how the church has acted it and I would say acted about emotions and I would say that's not health to just suppress ignore right. you know stuff that that is not god's way if we look at it instead theologically and that's really how i approach mm-hmm. it i approach it scientifically and theologically when you study emotions theologically it blew my mind emotions are not neutral mm-hmm. emotions are not bad emotions are good mm-hmm. and the reasons they are good and we can prove this theologically is because you look at it from genesis to revelation god has a lot of emotions so they can't be bad because he not only does he have them he created them and gifted them to us because not all of creation has emotion sure, sure. so we know that they are gifted specifically into the image bearers of god because 
that reflects the image of God. So sadness, anger, those are emotions that God feels, even fear, which that one, I did a lot of theological work around because I wasn't sure that felt heretical to me. God feels fear. How could he be afraid? He knows what's going to happen. Well, Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, it says the word is agonia, and that word is translated most often to anxiety or fear. And so you see even Christ facing the cross, experiencing some fear. And so those are the three kind of big ones, the negative ones that we kind of say those are those couldn't be from God. Well, they are from God. And and I believe the reasons he, he gifted them to us is to, number one, to deal with a mixed up world, mm-hmm. right? All these emotions. If we don't feel sadness at death, there is a release that happens in sure. us. Even, even neurologically, when you cry and you release tears, there is something that begins to physically sure. heal in your brain. Now, it gets even more fun, the science and scripture, because it says, mourn with those who mourn. Well, that is scientifically the only way the brain heals from trauma. Okay. It does not heal by fixing something. It does not heal by pulling someone out of a difficult situation and putting them in a good one. It does not heal with money or resources. It heals when you go back to that difficult thing and you aren't alone. And someone is with you in it and you feel sad together. Right. That is how the neurons in your brain reconnect and begin to heal. So mourn with those who mourn mm-hmm. is actually the thing Mm -hmm. that helps our brain more than anything else. And of course, God built our brain and told us how Mm -hmm. to handle handle sadness. So what I love about this is that the end goal is nearness to God. Mm -hmm. Emotions serve the greatest purpose in connecting someone to God and connecting someone to each other. So I would say, anyone still listening would say- (laughs) I think they're still listening. Would say, I feel closer to you than I ever have. Mm Dr. Stetzer, Ed. Yeah, Ed, we can go that. I like um, that. Because I didn't know that about you. Yeah. yeah. And I relate to that about yeah. you. And, uh, you know, there's so many people right now listening going, I do. They're nodding in their car because, because we all crave to know we're not alone. Yeah. And so yeah. when someone says the hard thing that they're facing right. emotionally, when someone cries with you, even if you don't know what they're crying about, you want to hug them. Right. You want to you hear what's going on. You feel connection with them. But because the church, we have demonized emotions and we've suppressed them, we're missing out, I think, on a deeper connection with God and a deeper connection with each other. Mm. So in, in the book, Anna, the book's in Untangle Your Emotions. It comes out in February 13th. So depending on when you're listening, it might be out already, 2024. 20, 20, um, naming what you feel and knowing what to do about it. So I love that that subtitle really resonates with me because I would say, okay, I can acknowledge this. I can name it. I can address it. But still, for some people, this is where you mentioned seeing going to counseling. You mentioned the, the alternative title, you know, $10,000 <laughs> in counseling. So at what point, I mean, so we want to encourage people to read the book, both of the books. But at what point should someone say, you know, I've got to untangle this and get some therapy to do this? So what I did in the book, first of all, I read and researched a lot and pretty far and wide and read so many books by counselors and mm-hmm. therapists. And I appreciated everything they said. I wanted to take a different approach. I am such a thinker that I wanted to lay out steps. I wanted it to be very simple and clear. Mm-hmm. So the book in the middle actually has a process of when you feel an emotion, what do you do? Mm. That works for thinkers. I think when you, when you're a thinker and you're like, I feel sad, I don't know what to do. It helps if somebody just tells you like, here's five things you do. I resonate with that because that's, you know, on Myers-Briggs world, I'm a T for a thinker. Well, all the counselors don't do that. You know, they just want to ask you how you feel and then they want you to cry about it. And that's good. (laughs) Which is why you're not a counselor (laughs) with that (laughs) description right here. And to me, the the caveat, neither of us are counselors, but keep going. Right. And, and I do have room in the book for that 
step in the process, but I just needed more order to okay. it. And and so I would say that there, you know, just so people aren't intimidated, because I think it feels sometimes like I'm going to walk up to the edge of this cliff and I'm going to look down and it's an abyss and I don't know right. when it's going to end. Right. Like it's dark and I don't know where it's going to end. Right. And what I would say first is I believe in ropes, right? I, I don't think you jump off into right. an abyss without like a few handles to say, okay, this is what I'm going to do. This is how I'm going to do this. And then also that God is in that. Yeah. And I really believe he is, I mean, when you look at the Beatitudes, blessed are those who right. mourn, there is something you, that he is uniquely close to in our emotional lives, that he wants to draw near to mm -hmm. us in our emotional lives. And so if you know God is in it and you have a few handles, I do think this isn't a scary journey, but it is, it is still hard yeah. <laughs> you know right. i think it is all self-work is going to be hard yeah but to be clear you said you went to therapy we're both i refer people to counseling all the time we're pro that but it doesn't mean that every situation every no. dealing with an emotion requires and some people can't afford it and i'm so yeah. sensitive to that yeah. but but i do think talking through it you'll never figure it out in your head alone right. and that's because god built your brain in such a way that that it's not going to, you're never going to come to that okay. conclusion with okay. just him alone. Right. God looks down at creation. He creates Adam and he says, it is not good for man to be alone. Mm -hmm. That was deeper than marriage. Right. It was it was the way Adam was built mm -hmm. as a connective human, one that is communal, like God is communal. He would never be content mm -hmm. alone. So we have to do this with other people. Okay. So, so sometimes it's therapists, sometimes it's for a pastor. Community. For a pastor, I mean, let me just say this. Yeah. There should be, if y'all can afford it, having right now with the mental health crisis in our world to have a counselor on staff yeah to, sure. to have someone that people yeah, or, can or connect to a ministry that does yeah for more right. for more a more affordable way those that are pastors should have someone safe that they are able to talk right. to the reason why my husband was a pastor for years and years and years it's just so isolating we would try to talk to people in our church elders and such but then later those things would come back and be used against right. us and right. so it just wasn't you the need place almost for like, it. Pastors, I just encourage pastors to have a pastor. Yes. I have a pastor that I go to. Uh, you know, my pastor has a pastor that he yeah. goes to. So I think it does make sense. So to have somebody makes a difference. Okay. But I, I got a, a serious question. So now from get out of your head to untangle your emotions, it sounds like you're saying that maybe what you wrote in Get Out of Your Head, you needed a lot more to deal with the emotions. Are you disavowing everything that before? Or Absolutely what's, Okay, not. so tell yeah. us what, I mean, what do we got to get out get of Get Out of Your Head was a phenomenon. I don't know if I'll ever have a book that I know, it went New York it, Times bestseller, went crazy, oh, Cosmo. Yeah, I just like want to say that crazy. none of my books have been so, featured in Cosmopolitan. Well, right. <laughs> I think I was, was mentioned once was probably and, and, and not happily. But I here's my thing with that. I stand by every okay. word of it. Okay. It's all true. We are living in a world where we've got to, we've got to approach and attack our, our mental health, just the tangledness of our minds and our hearts, we've got to approach it from every way. It's mm -hmm. got to be spiritual. It's right. got to be physical. Right. It's got to be mental. Mm -hmm. It's got to be relational. This is this is the way we've got to all mm -hmm. fight. And, and so it's just we're in a very, very dark time. It's a weird time. It's a weird time. What would you say to pastors? You know, you've got, again, we've got get out of your head and we've got untangle your emotions. But now you've seen pastors. You work with pastors. You, 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 your husband was a pastor. Uh, what would you say, pastor? This is some stuff you need to work on. I would encourage them get the get the books, get out of your head, and untangle your so, emotions. But what would you say to them? I would just say to them, to all of you that are listening, that it is worth it. And I am someone who, for so long, I I couldn't understand why it would feel helpful to be sad mm -hmm. and to share about that to other people. That felt to me pointless? Why go backwards? Why think about something difficult that happened to, to me when I was 
eight years old. What what good is that? And I would just say I had good friends and a wise mentor, counselor in my life that that just said, well, let's just try. What do you have to lose? And what I found on the other side of that work was peace. Mm-hmm. And, and I got to show up better for the people that I love. Mm-hmm. Because when, when Kate gets married, this is just last year, and I'm panicking every time she's telling me about potential dreams in her life and everything else. I'm withdrawing from her emotionally. And I'm deciding in my head that if she moves, we're not going to have a close relationship. I'm distancing myself in every way from my daughter, who's one of my very best friends. But when I take that to my counselor and my friends and I work through where's that really coming from, I realize it's not coming from my daughter moving. I know we'll be close, whatever happens. It's coming from the hospital room where I felt like I was going to lose Zach. It's coming from the seven-year-old crying in the back of the car that's alone and doesn't Mm -hmm. feel like she knows how to reach out to her parents and ask for help. It's coming from moments in my life where I was alone Mm -hmm. and I'm afraid of being alone in the future. Mm -hmm. So my brain, without even me thinking about it consciously, when my daughter is saying she's going to move, I'm forecasting somewhere in my brain subconsciously that I'm going to be alone. And so I react out of that and I panic and I manipulate and I judge Mm -hmm. and I, I distance and all those things happen. But when I make peace, with the eight-year-old or the seven-year-old in the back of the car, when I make peace with the wife who almost lost her husband, Mm -hmm. when I go back to those places and I look at my life and I remember, okay, there's a lot of people Mm -hmm. that are here for me, that were there for me, I actually lean in and I feel safer and my heart doesn't panic. So my my word would be, if you notice yourself having a disproportionate reaction to something, Mm -hmm. pay attention to it. Interesting. Don't just push it away. Mm-hmm. Now, there are times we are just listening to lies that the enemy right. sets in our brain, and right. that's where get out of your head. I stand by every word of it. Right. There were times I listened to doubts about God being real, that I, that it would be 3 a.m. in the morning, and I would question, is God real? Is God real? And I just let that go on mm-hmm. for 18 months. No, that was not something for me to listen to. Mm-hmm. That was a lie straight from the pit of hell. Right. So you don't listen to that. So I do stand by get out of your head. Sure. But sometimes it's deeper, right. and sometimes it's something we're supposed to listen so to. So both are true. You can. There are things you need to address, toxic thoughts. I mean, take every thought captive. All those things are very important. And also to recognize there may be some issues that we need to walk through. Pastors are not good at that. I mean, they tend to be, we want to help others. We don't want to help ourselves. So I would say you can't really help anyone past the point that you've gone. Okay. So as a pastor or a leader, the very most important thing you will ever do is to go as deep and as far and as close as you can to Jesus. Mm-hmm. And Jesus lives with the brokenhearted. That's that's the Bible. Mm-hmm. So to move into the parts of your heart that are broken is to be near to Jesus. Yeah. And it's not that you all only can be near to Jesus in in the sadness, but it is a way to mm-hmm. be near to Jesus. Right. And I think you'd be surprised at how good it feels mm-hmm. to be heard and to be seen by someone else mm-hmm. um, that's, that's the right person that mm-hmm. can actually help you untangle it. And you won't believe how helpful you become right. as you begin to heal yourself. So it, the challenge, of course, is that some people come from very, you know, maybe stable homes, and some people come from really toxic backgrounds and all this sort of stuff. So we all start at different places. That's part of the challenge. So how then do we start that journey? Because I'm guessing it's, in some ways, it's different for everybody, but there are also some first steps. What would so it be? So the first thing I'd begin to do, and I challenge people to do in the book, is just to start to notice how you feel. Yeah. And for some people, that is revolutionary. My husband was like this. He grew up in a home where emotions weren't valued. He was a quarterback, and his dad was the head coach. And so 
you don't, emotions are the enemy, you know, in that situation. Sure, you need sure. steady mind that does not get flustered. And so that was the value. And it, it wasn't their fault. They both are loving, godly parents, mm-hmm. and he had a very stable home. But that was just how he learned. Right, right. And so when he gets married, um, all of a sudden he realizes we, we start marriage counseling because we just cannot connect. And thankfully, um, he just learned to feel. And he literally had to learn it like mm-hmm. a toddler. And that's okay. And he began to just notice how he felt and name it. And as he began to do that, he it was so cute. He would say, he calls himself, I never called him this, my new husband on the other side of that, mm. because he said, I cry now when I worship God, when I pray, not every time, but right. lots. Right. He said, I feel joy, yeah. like I've never felt joy before. Mm. He feels sadness, like mm. he's never felt sadness before. He's actually better emotional. He could have written this book better than me. I He is more emotional than I am now. Mm. And... And so when something bad happens, he cries. When something that makes him mad, he gets mad. Mm. And it's so healthy. And, and and he says it out loud in a way that he doesn't sin usually sometimes. I mean, every <laughs> once in a while he does. But but largely he's emotionally well and healthy. Mm-hmm. And so he, he says, man, that that really disappointed me. Mm. And and then he talks about it. And he, and he invites me into it. And mm-hmm. it's just so fun to watch someone go from not even being able to tell if they're sad, right, mad, right, anything. Right. Because they've never felt it. They don't recognize it. To now being so emotionally attuned. And what that has done is made him an incredible dad. Right, sure. It's made him so present for our kids. Mm-hmm. Because he's able to notice their sadness before I do. Sure. And, and to be in it with them instead right. of try to fix them. I think those are some of the fruits. Okay, so some, but people, some people are more emotionally... Uh, inclined than yeah, others. Totally. So, because uh, someone might hear what you just said and say, well, my husband's crying more. And they're saying, well, I don't really sure I want to cry more. But <laughs> it depends on what it is. Maybe you need yeah. to cry more. So, what would then healthy, kind of looking at different ways people are wired, different yeah. ways God's made people, uh, how, how is a consistent, emotionally healthy response going to be across different personality types? So, I would just say everyone is emotional. Yeah, for sure. And that's a key part. Again, the book's Untangle Your Emotions. That's a key part of it. Every single person. The reason you're emotional is because God is emotional and he built you. So you may not be in touch with your emotions Mm -hmm. or you may not be super expressive with your emotions. Mm -hmm. That's actually not what I'm talking about. It's okay to not be super expressive or to be super expressive. I have friends that are very healthy emotionally. They never cry. They never raise their voice. They just say what they feel. And they just say, you know what? That makes me sad. And And that's what it looks like. But they're in touch with it. Right. So I think it's just noticing what's going on internally. Mm -hmm. How it expresses itself will be as free or true to you as as is your personality, right? right? right. Um, but I do think to not be afraid of that. And I think that is, is you know, what I'll say this. One of the greatest enemies to us actually doing this or to living this way regularly is that we judge our emotions. Mm-hmm. And so my hope and my prayer is that this work will help people stop doing that, mm. that they'll see their emotions as gifts rather than burdens. They're not burdens to me. When somebody shares with me, when you told me that about baseball, I feel bonded to you for the rest of my <laughs> life. Like that was so precious. That doesn't a burden to me yeah. for when you talk about that shame that you felt. Yeah. That's a gift to me. Right. And I think we've got to start viewing that as true for each other. Now, I am not suggesting that everybody go start acting out of their emotions. Sure. Right. Scripture is clear. It says that he empathizes with our weaknesses, meaning that he understands sadness, he understands fear, he understands the weakness of humanity and the the difficult things that we go through. But he did not sin. And so we do have a model in Christ to feel these things, but to still, at the end of the day, when we feel afraid, to say, God, your will and not mine. Mm. When we feel sad, God, your will and not mine. Mm. There's still the model of Christ to say, 
we can feel these things without them mastering our lives. That's good. I, uh, this summer, I threw out the first pitch of the White Sox game. Shut up. And uh, sent a video to my dad. Oh, and we laughed chills. about our childhood experiences oh. and because we've become super close. And I just wanted to end with that because ultimately the Lord, not everyone will, but the Lord also works through those things. But we still, you still carry those emotional experiences uh, back through the journey as well. Jenny Allen, thanks for taking the time to talk with it's us. It's great. Thank you. You've been listening to Jenny Allen. Be sure to check out her book, Get Out of Your Head, Stopping the Spiral of Toxic Thoughts. You can learn more about Jenny at JennyAllen.com. And thanks again for listening to the Sets of Church Leaders podcast. You can find more interviews as well as other great content for ministry leaders at churchleaders.com slash podcast. And again, if you find our conversation today helpful, we'd love for you to take a few moments, leave us a review. That'll help other ministry leaders find us and benefit from our content. Thanks for listening. We'll see you in the next episode. You've been listening to the Stetzer Church Leaders Podcast. For more great interviews, as well as articles, videos, and free resources, visit our website at churchleaders.com. Thanks for listening.